Good morning and welcome. Let's turn our Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, this morning, uh, we're going to look at uh, verses 9 through 21. We entitled our message this morning, The Power of Love. The world sings about it all the time, but the world doesn't know the power of the love of Jesus Christ and how it can change hearts and lives. And Paul writes here, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, and continuing steadfastly in prayer. Distributing to the needs of the saints and given to hospitality. And bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble, and do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, extreme anger. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. And do not be overcome by evil. But overcome evil with good. And with that, let's pray. Father, we, Lord, look to you today. And Lord, on this Memorial Day weekend, we want to say thank you. Lord, for those individuals, Lord, who have paid the ultimate price, Lord, we thank you that we, Lord, uh, we experience freedom and, and many blessings because of those who, Lord, laid down their life. And Lord, in laying down their lives, Lord, their reflection of what you said in Scripture, Lord, uh, that it takes the love of God um, to lay down our lives. And Lord, we pray and we ask you that, Lord, uh, that, would, that we would be able to live by the love of God. And so, Father, I pray that uh, as we, Lord, have opened your word and sung your praise, that, Lord, you would speak now through your word. I thank you for those that are here. And Lord, I thank you that also, too, you know, you know exactly, Lord, uh, each one of us, you know our, our past, our present, and our future. And Lord, you have a way of, Lord, when you sow your truth into our lives, when you speak into our hearts, Lord, it, it, becomes, uh, it becomes very relevant. And Lord, uh, we thank you for this time. We commit these matters to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, last time, uh, looking at chapter 12, uh, Paul has been speaking and reminding us there of the importance of just consecrating our lives, you know, just opening up our lives to him. Um, 
He speaks about uh, offering ourselves up, uh, a living sacrifice, uh, not uh, as uh, we have got nothing left over, but to offer ourselves uh, in a full way uh, and not to be conformed to the world. You know, the world's always trying to squeeze us, you know, into its mold, fashion us, shape us. Uh, That's what we find uh, the culture's doing all the time, political correctness. And, uh, and it's only as we find ourselves and allow ourselves to be transformed, uh, you know, by the renewing of our mind, he says, uh, as we understand God's will and God's purpose, and we yield ourselves to that. We have to, you know, God wants to transform us, you know, but we have to obey that. We have to surrender ourselves to that, or else if we don't, the world is just going to shape us and mold us, and we're going to find ourselves just simply uh, being a pawn, being a pawn of our culture, uh, and the things that go on in our culture. But he has called us, you know, to higher ground. He's called us to live above these things. And as we do, we represent him. We represent, uh, you know, uh, our, uh, you know our, our, our experience, you know, as a Christian. We communicate that to our culture only as we live it out. You know, and we see that here, Paul. We've come into this place um, in Romans where it's a, 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 you know, he's all the way up through chapter 12. He's given us a lot of important things, doctrine. Uh, now he's speaking about practical things, uh, these practical areas, that is, we simply live out the, the dictates of Scripture, uh, that God is going to use that, and God is going to take that. And so um, in chapter, uh, in the earlier parts, he also spoke, uh, um, I think, in verses, what, perhaps four through eight about spiritual gifts. Uh, and those are important things. But now he's going to balance it out with love. Uh, we can have spiritual gifts uh, but if we don't have love, we really don't have anything at all. You know, he tells us that over in uh, uh, chapter uh, 13 of 1 Corinthians. You know, you can, have, you, can be, uh, you can have great faith, faith to remove mountains. But if you don't have love, you really have nothing. So love for us uh, is the balance. And I find the Holy Spirit always bringing us, you know, back to that place of allowing the love of Christ, to, you know, to, to work in our lives and to express that. I, I think uh, our culture in many different ways uh, as they look to maybe satisfy that inner hunger, that inner need, you know, stuff all kinds of things into the life because Satan is the great counterfeiter. He's always counterfeiting. Whatever God does, Satan always counterfeits it. He always counterfeits in some kind of way, uh, and it becomes very deceptive to people. And sometimes, too, the very you, God may lead you to walk up to you know, somebody and begin to witness to them, and, and anyone outside of Christ is trying to fill their life with something trying to find some, kind of, some, some degree of satisfaction, uh, some kind of peace within their life. And you may walk up to that person, and you may present them with the gospel, and they may just sort of just blow you off, uh, not realizing the very thing that you're presenting uh, is, a, is a relationship with the ultimate person, a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which will satisfy that hunger, uh, that will basically slack that thirst. You know, I looked at my life, um, and I think you can only really evaluate your life uh, in an accurate way once you really come to Christ. And I look back to my life uh, for the first 20, 25 years of my life, and before I knew him, I was just sort of just going from one thing to the next, just trying to satisfy myself, just trying to, you know, for me it was sports and activities of those kind of things. And not, not that those things are wrong, uh, but for, for me it was, uh, that was the thing I thought was going to fulfill me. I thought that would really satisfy me. So I would just, I would get into something um, in a very determined, um, uh, intentional kind of a way. But as I realized, as I got into it to a certain degree, that it wasn't satisfying that. So I would just sort of move on to something else. And a lot of folks go through relationships like that. 
thinking that, you know, well, perhaps this relationship will really satisfy me. And then you come to find out that that person will not really fulfill that deep hunger that you have within your heart and in life, uh, only as we have a relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And again, I think in this, you know, there, I think the most, counterf- the most counterfeited thing in our world today is love. But we can only really experience love when we have that relationship with our Lord and Savior, you know, Jesus Christ. And again, his love is different from the love of the world. The love of the world is oftentimes, uh, it, it can suck the life out of you uh, in, the, in the name of love. But his love is giving. His love is also sacrificial. And again, if we don't really, you know, have that love, we really have nothing. And again, you know, um, you know, Jesus doesn't say to us, you know, I love you, and then rips us off. We see that so often in our culture and in our society. Now, picking it up in verse 9, he's telling us here that love doesn't have two faces. You know, love isn't hypocritical. The love of the world is. The love of the world is oftentimes that we see presented to us, even though a person may say, I love you, but if they don't have the love of Christ in their life, that, life that, that love is really selfish. It's just what I can get out of my relationship with you. And then oftentimes after that relationship sort of bottoms out, a person will move on uh, to another relationship. I was sharing with the first service uh, a number of years ago something I read in a book and something I had shared in a marriage um, uh, conference. And that is men often say they love a woman to get sex from her. Because that's, 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 the, that's the magical word. Men will oftentimes use, the, you know, they will you know, whisper all kinds of sweet nothings and say they love, a, love to a woman just to get sex out of her. And a woman oftentimes will give sex just to thinking they're getting love. But again, these are the deceptions that are out there in our culture and in our society. There's only one true love that's really going to satisfy us, and that is the love of Christ when we open our lives up fully and entirely to him. So he says, let love uh, be without hypocrisy. Uh, Abhor what is evil. Uh, We're told that we can detest, we can hate things that are evil. Not not that we we can't hate people Um, over in... uh, Uh, Psalm 45, it's a messianic psalm, and it says about Jesus, um, the whole psalm is about him, it says, thou lovest righteousness and hate wickedness, and that's what we have to do too, we have to love righteousness more than some wicked thing uh, that, you know, that the culture embraces or that we might find ourselves tempted to embrace. There are certain activities and things like that that we need to be, they need to seem really detestable to us. Uh, and that's why it's important that we look to the Word of God uh, and we take our instruction and our leading from that. Uh, the things that God, you know, the things that God uh, speaks to us in the Bible are things that will be beneficial to us. They'll be a blessing ultimately to us. Uh, and, and, we, and we find out, you know, that we, have, we can have desires. We can have desires that are in total opposition to the Scripture. But it's only as we yield ourselves over to the Holy Spirit uh, can He turn those things around. Can he change us? Remember, the Holy Spirit in your life is the change agent. And you will find, you know, as you walk with Christ, you know, over your Christian journey, there's a lot of things that he wants to change in us. And he doesn't change them all at the beginning. Um, He doesn't come in and totally, you know, renovate, you know, our behavior uh, in the beginning. There's a lot of things he deals with. 
Uh, he comes in with his Holy Spirit. He brings conviction. But you'll come to find out as you move through and navigate through your Christian journey, there are things that perhaps now at 10, 20 years, even 30 years in your life that he's working on that perhaps maybe you were not even cognizant or so aware of late, you know, earlier on in your Christian experience. So the Holy Spirit is that agent you know, for us. He's, he's, he brings certain issues to the forefront of our understanding, things that he wants to deal with. And you may find that initially... You know, in your experience with the Lord, uh, everything is just absolutely wonderful. But when you walk with Him in a, in a, um, a concentrated uh, effort uh, to really be Christ-like, you're going to find that He's going to put His finger on certain things that He wants to free us from that maybe we're not even aware that they were there, certain attitudes, certain dispositions, uh, certain you know, ways that we have uh, things that He wants to change. So He says, uh, cling to what is good. Now, though, hang on. Whatever convictions God, I think, has, has wrought within your life. Uh, we talk about values today, uh, you know, good values, uh, wholesome values, values that are good, you know, for the culture and so forth. But the values of the world are so different from the values that God has wrought and, and built into our life. And the way that we get values are, let me put it this way, convictions. Let's call them convictions. They're really more than values. Uh, these are things that have been just born within our lives because of the, the Scriptures and the truth of the Word of God. Uh, God will begin to fashion and shape within your heart certain things that you know. And it doesn't matter what somebody else does. What it matters is, is what the Lord is speaking to us in an individual way. That again, we need to, we need to, be, uh, we need to yield ourselves over to those promptings. And again, the promptings of God, He's very gentle. Um, you know, in the process of time, he works things into our life as he works things out of our lives. But here's the deal. You, gotta, you, you have to yield to his prompting. You, you have to allow God to direct your life. Um, you can be a Christian, but at the same time, too, your life can be a mess. You can have all kinds of inconsistencies um, and hypocrit hypocritical things in your life if you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to change you. And the thing that I find, if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to change us, we're kind of cranky. We're kind of miserable because we're not allowing God to have his way with us. And we need to let him uh, do that. Now, he says here, again, touching on this whole matter of love, be kindly affectionate uh, as brothers and sisters uh, to one another with brotherly love in honor, uh, giving preference to one another. And again, remember, we're told earlier in the book of Romans, what love fulfills the law. Now, remember the Old Testament Pharisee and so forth, uh, uh, 613 laws. And man, it can be very rigorous, can it, to try to please God by adhering to all these, you know, 600. Can you imagine just going through that list? Um, but here's the beautiful thing. When the Holy Spirit is in your life and the love of God is in your life, there's a fulfillment of the law. And the beautiful thing is, is you find yourself in agreement you find your desires lining up, you know, with the Lord and with His Word. It's a beautiful thing because sometimes you discover it happening and it kind of surprises you. It's like, wow, I didn't even realize it, that I was fulfilling this truth over here or fulfilling that Scripture. And that's what happens is when you have the Holy Spirit. What, what, what's the Scripture refer? In, in John's Gospel, he says, He's our helper. Uh, I know the older version says He's our comforter. Uh, that's great. He does. He is. He's a wonderful comforter. But I like the fact it's practical when, 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 when it renders it, he's our helper. He's the one who wonderfully helps us. He enables us. He doesn't just say, do this. 
He doesn't say change here or change there and just sort of leave us without the power or without the ability. That's the blessed purpose of the onboard Holy Spirit, you know, at work within our life. He's a great helper. He will enable us to do the impossible. Uh, there's many things. You know, the, when you think about the Christian life, it's impossible. It's impossible. And you know what you come to find out? You can't fake it. You can't really fake being a Christian. You, you, can't, really, uh, you can't fake the love of God. Like he says here, you know, let love be without hypocrisy. Because, you know, when we're fake, you know, we're trying to fake it and, and be something, you know, that we're not. Uh, you know what? That's, you, you know, when, when we tell people we're, you know, we're a believer, we become a marked person. They will watch you. They will observe you. They will not come up initially and say, you know what? You know, I really need to be saved. Can you pray with me? Don't wait for that. It ain't gonna, it's probably not going to happen. But you know something, as you make your declaration and people know that you're a Christian, and you don't have to beat people in the head with the Bible. I think we need to be faithful to, to share Christ when we have the opportunity. But you know what? They're going to observe you. They're going to watch you. Because you know what they're watching for? They're watching for our inconsistencies. They're watching to see, you know, uh, is this guy, you know, is his, is his, is his walk going to measure up to his talk? Or is he just another Christian hypocrite? And I think sometimes maybe we're a little afraid to share our faith because we don't want people to know we're a Christian. Because why? Because we're, we're, we're accepting or living within these certain inconsistencies. And so we don't want anybody, we, we let this, no bumper stickers on my car, you know, kind of thing. I don't want to tell anybody that I'm a Christian because what happens? Because they're going to watch our life and observe our life. And you know something? We need, that's why we need to share Christ because you know what? It helps us to be accountable. There's something about human nature, you know, we don't like being accountable to one another. But you know something? We need it. And here's the deal, too, about accountability. Nobody, nobody can make you accountable. The only, the only person that's going to make you accountable before the Lord is you. And, and again, it's an accountability before other people. And you know what? We need that. We need that because at times our lives are inconsistent. At, at times, we, at times it's, it, there's temptations you know, to be hypocritical about things. So we need accountability. And that's why some people don't go to church. Some people will not go to church because they do not want to be accountable to somebody else. And that's why sometimes I've noticed, because I was in a church one time with 3,000 people, and I used to think about, you know, how every Sunday the herd would go in and the herd would go out. And sometimes there was a lot of believers that wouldn't even connect, you know, with one another. I'm not saying that happens in every church. But I know there's a lot of people coming to a big church because they could, they could travel incognito. They didn't want to be accountable. They didn't want to get into a small group. Uh, they didn't want to, you know, basically know anybody because we need those kind of things. You know, God's basically, he's created us as a body, and he's put us in a body uh, where basically, you know, we're to function, you know, members one of another. Not all the same function, but members one of another being a blessing. Look at, look at the body. Look what happens when the body doesn't work right. It's spastic. When the body is not working right, it's spastic. And, and oftentimes, you may, you may notice that in the body of Christ. But your natural body, all the different members, they're all working together for one goal, for one purpose, for the blessing of the overall body. You know, Jesus said love is our identity mark. It's the mark where the world's going to look at you and me and they're going to say, well, 
Look at the love they have for one another. It's an important identity mark that you and I are to have. You know, I think also, too, love has immense implications regarding emotional health. I believe that love has great implications, immense implications regarding our emotional health. I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 4, and there's five verses I want to look at there. 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 through 21. And I want to preface it with this question. Let me ask you this. Are you, do you feel that you're growing in the, in, 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 you know, in the love of Christ? Because it's very, it's, it's very important. It's essential that you and I are growing in our love for Christ. That's why, remember, Jude says in verse 20 of that one-chapter little epistle, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. And I'll tell you what, that's a challenge to us, to keep ourselves, and I put it like this, to keep ourselves in love with God. Because you know what? This world and the things of this world is always vying trying to steal our affections, our love away from Jesus Christ. So are we growing in biblical love? Are we maturing? Now he says in verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. So again, there shouldn't be fear in our life regarding, you know, that future judgment. I think it's important uh, when, when we think about the, the, the coming of the Lord. Am I, are you ready? Let me, let me ask you this. If the Lord was coming this afternoon, how would that affect our lives? Oh, boy, I'll tell you what. We'd sure be on our phones quick, wouldn't we? We'd be writing a lot of letters, sending out a lot of messages. But are we really ready? Do we look forward? Do we have boldness? Or do we think, man, there's a lot of things in my life. A lot of things about because we know, we know, we know in our hearts of hearts where we stand with the Lord. Do, do we have that really that kind of boldness? If the Lord came right now, hey man, I'm ready. <laughs> or, or is there consternation? Is there concern? Like, uh, I don't know if I want him to come right now. There's certain things I got to get squared away. Well, I'll tell you what, you're never going to square them away by yourself. But as we yield ourselves over to the Holy Spirit, and we bring the Lord, and again, that's what prayer is, isn't it, basically? It's bringing the Lord into the equation of my circumstances, my situations, bringing the Lord into the equation of my problem. Because it, it, you cannot be a Christian on your own. That's what the whole Old Testament story is about. We need the power of the Holy Spirit, and we need the power of the love of God in the church. That's what's going to make a difference in your life. That's going to make a difference in the church. That's what's going to make a difference in this world. As we yield ourselves over to him. Now he says here, notice verse 18, there's no fear in love. What a statement. John, John, do you really know what you're talking about? Well, of course he does. He says there's no fear in love because perfect love or, or maturing love Cast out fear. This is the word phobia. And this is where we get the word fear, worry, and anxiety. And what is the Lord telling us here? He says, these things can torment your mind. These things can plague your thinking. And do you ever notice that, man, when you get so anxious that you're just kind of neutralized? 
Sometimes I, I've never really had this problem with anxiety, but I've talked, I've, I've talked with folks who have had crippling anxiety. Just, just worrying, so overcome with worry and fear. That's really what it is. But what he's telling us here is that we can have the love if we're growing in the love of God. That instead of love being neutralized, the fear will be neutralized. And I'll tell you what, in our world today, there is stuff to fear. There, there's stuff to worry about. There is stuff that will make you anxious. Even if we're not talking about geopolitical stuff, what about your financial future? Will there ever be enough money to retire on? Or you're, you're so concerned because you find your health failing. And you're worrying. And you're anxious about that. Our Father said He would take care of us. And there can be a love of God within our hearts that overcomes the worry, the fear, the anxiety. It's interesting because the, 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 the fear, the worry, the anxiety, those, those things are actually, they're the reality of life. But when we trust Him, when we look to Him, and it's interesting too because faith is the opposite of fear, isn't it? You know, faith is trusting God, whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation. And, and, and the fear can be, you know, that's why sometimes when, you, when we speak like this as Christians, people say, well, you, you know, um, here's my situation. This is the reality, man. But the Lord says, look at me. He says, I want you to entrust that thing to me. Entrust this circumstance to me. Again, faith is always in opposition to fear, to worry, anxiety. He says, fear involves torment. And again, it can, fear can just so cripple you and torture your mind, your thinking. But that does not need to be for you and me, for the child of God. Because again, there's always something you, you can, you know, isn't it amazing? <clears throat> so many things that we've worried about never came to pass. You notice that? So many things that we've worried, you know, night and day about, they never came to pass. And the Lord says, I'll take care. I, I've got your future. That's a beautiful thing about giving your life to Christ. You don't just get absolved or, or, or forgiven for your past. He's working in your life presently. And he says, I've given you a future and a hope. And we have to believe that. We have to believe that God is God. And he's going to be faithful to what he said that he would do. He who fears has not been made perfect or is not growing in love. Now he says, we love him because he first loved us. No, he's the source. What John goes on later to say, I think, in, the, in, the, in this chapter, or maybe it was earlier, he says, God is love. And so he's the source. What, what we see in culture and in humanity is oftentimes just a, a mere reflection. It's a mere reflection. That's why, like, when Jesus Christ came 
and he lived his life and he went to the cross, that was the greatest expression of love that history, mankind, the world, the universe will ever see. And the very ones he was loving put him on a cross. <laughs> it shows you you cannot see, apprehend, or understand love, except you see it from the, from the lens or the perspective of God. That's why a lot of people walk around in their blindness and their darkness with some kind of warm, fuzzy feeling and thinking it's love. Where, where for the most part, it's, it's based on emotion. And, and there's an emotional side to love. I'm not saying there's not. But it has to come in the right context. We discover the love of God in the greatest way when we, when we get saved. There's something so powerful when a person realizes that they are accepted and loved by Almighty God. Because, you know, so often we go through life and we're looking for acceptance from people. You ever notice that? There, there's something about us, our human nature, that we want to we seem acceptable. We want to be presentable. We want other people to like us. But, and again, you can go through your whole life and, 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 and as you maybe even have given yourself over in relationships, liking people, loving people, doing things for them, you find out oftentimes how fickle human nature is. And then what happens is you get cynical because you try to love, you try to put it out there, you got ripped off, you got taken advantage of, you got exploited, you got used. And, and that's when people become very cynical. But it's only as we understand that I'm loved. I'm loved by the ultimate person because God is a person. And it's only as we have intimate relationship with him do we really understand what love is. Someone says, I love God and hates his brother. He's a liar. But John says, John's the apostle of love. <laughs> it's impossible to do both. It's impossible to do both. See, I love God. But I hate that guy. I can't stand them. No. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, and again, it's easier to love Somebody that you see. It's more difficult to love somebody that you don't see. I don't know about you, but I tell you what, I've known the Lord for 44 years. He hasn't appeared to me yet. Not in a visual way. But oh, I love him. And it's easier to love things that you see or people that you see. So again, he's making pointing out an inconsistency. Oh, I love God. I love God, but I just hate people. <laughs> kind of thing. And this is commandment that we have from him. He who loves God must love his brother also. Remember Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. Did you ever have somebody in your life that was an authority figure or a manager or a boss 
and you just found yourself loving that person. And when they gave you an order or a command or something to do, what did you do? It's like, oh, I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to do it the very best I can do. Maybe, you're, maybe a parent or somebody in your life that you just love that person. And that's what Jesus is simply saying. If you love me, he's saying, keep my commandments. Paul would write later, the goal of the commandment is love. The goal, the aim, the purpose of the commandment is to just bring us to this place of just letting the love of God, you know, come into our life and flow through our life. We're not called to be reservoirs. We're called to be conduits. And there's something about when the love of God is flowing through your life. It has a cleansing effect. You don't want to be the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea, everything flows into the Dead Sea, nothing flows out, and everything is dead. And it's when the love of God is flowing in your life and through your life. There's a, real, there's a richness, a, a purity, a cleansing, and an impact in the lives of others around us. Now, concerning... The values that we see here in 11 uh, through 21, it, it seems to me that they're just simply an outgrowth of the love of God in a practical way. I, I think what the Scripture is showing us here is how we're to love in a very practical kind of way. Because the Holy Spirit is teaching us. He's always teaching us to love. Remember, the disciples said, you know, teach us to pray. Um, you know, what's faith? And the Holy Spirit is just showing us in a very simple, practical way how the love of God wants to move through our life. And he says here, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. In other words, we need to have a fire in our faith. Not holding back, not lagging when it comes to the things of God. You know, isn't it amazing when we want to do something, boy, we do it. Whatever we need to do, if we really love something, we'll, man, we'll get, we'll get the job done, get her done. But sometimes when it comes to God's work, we, we kind of hold back. We lag. That's where we need to be diligent. Because there's a lot of things that we do for ourselves have no eternal consequence. But when you serve the Lord, there, there's something eternal and blessed about that. Now, rejoicing in hope. A lot of times we rejoice, you know, after the issue is resolved, after the problem is taken care of. Oh, I can rejoice now. Uh, I'm finally past that. But he wants us to rejoice with expectation. Uh, David said this, Ex my expectation is of the Lord. In other words, just to trust God and just to, be, to have a rejoicing kind of a spirit. I, I think that's a very precious thing, a very needed thing. Uh, there are some folks that just seem to be rejoicing all the time. And I think maybe God has placed them in the body just to encourage the rest of us. You know, if we struggle with, you know, just rejoicing and, and, um, and, and just having that kind of an attitude. Rejoicing in hope. Again, hope, the word is hope, expectation. We have an expectation, what, of God. Patient in tribulation. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Very important. Uh, distributing to the needs of the saints. Given to hospitality. I'll tell you what, when you read this, and there's another place too Paul speaks about just having a job to, to just help other people. Isn't that revolutionary? 
Man, that's not American, I'll tell you that right now. It's, you know, you know, work for yourself. Store up for yourself. Hoard for yourself. But, and, and we can be like that. It's easy to be like that. And especially the unbelieving world. It's all about, uh, you know, their self-preservation, man. But here, <laughs> distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Um, we just had a, we just uh, made an announcement in one of our weekly Bible studies um, that um, Ruth was coming back from uh, Uganda. She needed a car. Within a week, we had a car. Isn't that great? I, I, just, I just love to see, you know, the generosity of God at work in his people because don't we serve a generous God? I mean, our Lord, he's always giving. And, and, and there's times where he just, he challenges us to let go. Has the Lord ever challenged you in some area to just, you know, give something away, give something up, to let go of something? And there's times where the Lord's kind of done that in my life. And, you know, it's a freeing thing. It's just a wonderful freeing thing when the Lord just speaks to us in a particular area like that to just sort of relinquish something, to give it up, uh, to do something that's above and beyond what, you would, what we would normally do. And it frees us. You know, when we give, God, that's one of God's ways of freeing us from selfishness. Isn't it amazing when you look at America today and so, so many people are striving for more and more and more. And it's like, when, when is enough enough? When is enough enough? I think, I think what we have, that's why the scripture says, be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. And, and we can find those desires that, you know, want more for something else. We can find those things as a Christian <laughs> coming up in our hearts. But, you know, there's certain things, you know, you've got to put them to death. you just got to put them to death and turn them over to the Lord. Bless those who persecute you. Blessed do not curse. Loving an enemy can be almost impossible. It is. It's impo it is impossible. But God can give us the grace. To love our enemies. Can't do it on our own. What do we want to do? We want to, we want to wipe out the enemy. You know, I, I, you, 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 we've all, I think, wrestled with that from time to time. Somebody that's adversarial toward us. You won't have anything to do with him. Do you ever feel challenged to pray for your enemy? I don't know about you, but I don't like praying for my enemy. Uh, smiting prayers. Yes, I like smiting prayers. Yes. Smite him, Lord, in the hinder parts, okay, kind of a thing. But they're not the prayers that glorify God. You know, the thing is, he wants to change us, doesn't he? He wants to change us from who we are naturally. And again... It's easy to be like the world. We're surrounded in a culture, a sea of unbelief. And, and, and what, feels, you know, what feels good to you normally, just go ahead and do it. See, God calls us to something higher. 
calls us to glorify Him, honor Him. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And I think here he's speaking about just simply being sensitive. Uh, the Bible says don't sing songs to, to a person who has a heavy heart. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, as Christians, we can want to be fixers. Uh, I, I knew a brother many, many years ago. He was a fixer. And he just, no matter what the situation, was insensitive to it. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes you can come in with a scripture that may seem applicable to you and may be applicable actually later. But for the moment, you need to weep with that person who weeps. You need to cry with them. There's some people that are hurting so bad, they don't want to hear anything. And a lot of times, too, when you're hurting that bad, you already know the answer. And sometimes, you know what? You just got to release it. Well, it's nothing like a good cry, and I'm not a crier, okay? Maybe I'm the typical guy. No, no, as a matter of fact, I know some guys are real criers, but um, I'm not a crier. But I'll tell you what, when I cry, oh, man, it's great. It, it's cleansing. We need to weep, rejoice with those who are rejoicing, and weep with those who are weeping. It's love. We're talking about love, being sensitive in that kind of a way. He says, be of the same mind toward one another, being agreement. Uh, do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the lowly or with the humble. Uh, do not be wise in your own opinion. So basically, he's talking here about keeping our ego in check, a willingness to be simply obscure, uh, not to be seen, uh, not to want to be an important person. I'll tell you what, the ego sometimes can get so out of control, even for Christians, even for Christians. I know of a pastor, I won't mention his name. Um, he wrote a book, <laughs> he wrote a book, and in order for him to be on the New York Times bestseller list, he went in and bought thousands of his own book um, in order to do that. The pastor, this is a pastor, and... Um, you know, sometimes, you know, the ego can be such where we want to have notoriety. Uh, we want to be thought well of. And again, that's, that's, in a sense, a very normal emotion. But the ego can take that. And the Holy Spirit, he will keep us in check. Do not be wise in your own opinion. I think... Um, Maybe in a practical way, not talking over other people. I, I've noticed this in, in, in men. I'll give you ladies a pass on this one, but I notice this in men. That when we're sitting there conversing, that you can be sitting there not even listening, looking into the guy's eyes, but not even hearing anything he says, and you're all loaded, locked, and ready to go. As soon as, they, as, soon as you get a break in the conversation, you're going to come back. Not talking over the others. Not being wise in our own opinion. Now, this final section. Uh, he's helping us to act in a loving way to those who are outside the church. Now, thus far, it's been basically those inside the church. And he says this, repay no one evil for evil. Remember a couple years ago, there was a uh, TV program called Revenge. It's like we need to be taught how to be revengeful. We don't need to be taught. Did you ever, did you ever have a, a revengeful thought? In your mind, like, I want to let all the air out of his tires. 
or I want to pour five pounds of sugar in his gas tank. Now, you ladies wouldn't think of that one, but uh, that's a guy thing. That, that's basically how to just totally destroy somebody's engine. We're capable of having, you know, these kinds of responses and reactions to people. And you know what? We're going to be tested. There's people, there are sandpaper people that are designed just for you. They're going to rub you the wrong way. And, and I, I think the Lord's telling us here not to respond in kind. You know, not tit for tat, not tweet for tweet. I'm not going to say anything more. But you know, it's interesting. We live in a culture now where somebody gets behind their little device and they send out these messages that are cruel and mean and nasty. And you know something? Basically, it's cowardly because they are things that they would never say to somebody face to face. You need to be careful they don't respond in kind. He says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. You know what? Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not possible to live peaceably with all people. But be careful that we don't become antagonistic. You know what? You know what? If you've got somebody in your life you can't live with, avoid them. Stay away from them. Rather than get drugged into, you know, responding in kind. You ever notice that, how things sort of, they beget, you know, if somebody comes up to you in anger, what, is that, what does that just sort of do to you? You just kind of, just, you want to respond in kind. It, it begets that same kind of response. It's like, you know, kind of a thing. And, all, and you're just locked horns. What's being accomplished? Nothing. He continues here in verse 19, dealing with, Difficult people, difficult situations. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. Now, wrath is intense anger. And we have come to a place in our culture where we have a thing called anger management. <laughs> I don't know if it's working for a lot of people. And one of the worst places for anger to be expressed is on the highway. On the highway. Isn't it funny, you, you know, you can be sitting in here praising the Lord, hallelujah, oh, thank you, Jesus. You get out in the highway and, oh, that dirty rat, what did he do? He cut me off. That dirty bum, that bozo. <laughs> well, maybe you wouldn't say that, but I do. I think we have to be careful. The Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it come the issues of life. And again, I think the, the, the wisdom here, he says, our vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord, is you know what? Here's the wisdom. Don't take it into your own hands. You know, to give it over to the Lord. Give it to him. And again, that response can come right up and it can be right there. But when you spit it out, it's going to be poison. And it's going to produce after its own kind. God will take care of it. God will work it out. 
Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, <laughs> give him a drink. In other words, our part is basically to be conciliatory. We are not agents of revenge. We are agents of what? Reconciliation. We want to reconcile people to God. And, and it's amazing sometimes people have such an ability to get under your skin. Ugh. What does the devil know exactly to send certain people our way? Where, where they almost know how to just get right under our skin and say something that just provokes us. We need to give it to him. Sometimes, you know, just walk away. Walk away. Don't get caught up in it. It's only going to produce after its own kind. So feed our enemy. Give our enemy a drink. He says, for in so doing, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. Now, that's an ancient thing. That, that's kind of out of our culture altogether. And what that means, basically, and I was thinking about it. You know, in the ancient world, you couldn't just go strike a match, and you didn't have your Bic lighter either, your little Bic lighter, you know. Oh, There was no paper towels in the ancient world. Couldn't just light, you know, turn your heat up, turn your stove on, turn your water on. None of that stuff. And if you lost fire, you had to somehow go find fire, and it wasn't that easy. And so you'd go over to your neighbor, say, hey, can I borrow a few coals? And you put it in your little bucket, and you take it home. So in doing that good deed to your enemy, to your adversary, to somebody that you don't like, it's like heaping coals of fire. In other words, it's giving them life. Because fire was life. Fire was life. It heated your home. It cooked your food. It boiled your water. You didn't have fire. You didn't have life. So when we do these, sometimes these simple things. And I think when we do these things, the life of Christ is somehow working through it. The Lord is working through our little deeds I was, we were studying Jonah on a Wednesday night. He is one stubborn, cantankerous guy. Jonah. God sent him to Nineveh. And some had said it's the greatest revival of all history. And he's mad. He's mad at God. Because God saved these people. He wanted them to be smitten. <laughs> and, and here's the deal. Even though inside we may be feeling anger, we're upset, we're bothered. When we, by the grace of God, obey like these scriptures, these exhortations, God will take and bless and multiply. Even if we do it like, oh, Lord, I don't really want to do it, but I'm going to do it because you tell me to do it. And you do it. And God blesses it. And just like Jonah, he went and preached. You know, 40 days and God's going to judge you people. 
And then he went, sit, he went to sit down and watch, you know, if God was going to do it or not. And the whole city repented. And there wasn't one desire, loving desire that Jonah had, you know, in his heart toward them. And, and what it reminds me of the fact that even though our hearts may not be where they should be, as we will obey the Lord toward our enemy, toward our adversary, toward the culture, we will obey him, that God will honor that. He'll honor that and he'll save souls, he'll save lives. In so doing, you'll heap coals of fire on his head and do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's no secret to overcoming. I got a little story, true story I want to read to you. And uh, it's about a man whose name was Josiah. And he was, uh, he was an American slave. And he uh, got saved, and God did a wonderful thing in his heart toward his master. He was a miserable, cruel man. Well, what God did with Josiah is what he can do with us. Our circumstances are different, but you know what? The love of God is transformational. The author says Josiah was a black slave during the Civil War was not acquainted with the scriptures, but one day after listening to the passionate words of a preacher at a camp meeting, Josiah heard the gospel for the first time and was converted. And he wrote the details of his conver conversion as follows. These are the words of Josiah, quote, When I arrived at the place of meeting, the services were so far advanced that the speaker was just beginning his discourse from the text of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9 which says, uh, quote, he, by the grace of God, speaking of Christ, should taste death for every person, end of quote. He says, this was the first text of the Bible I had ever listened to, and knowing it to be such, I have never forgotten it. And scarcely a day has passed since in which I have not recalled it and the sermon that was preached from it. Who can describe my feelings and the strange influence that had come upon me and overwhelmed me as I listened to those wondrous words. Oh, the blessedness and sweetness of the feeling that then came over me that I was loved, loved by God. I could have died that moment with joy for the compassionate Savior about whom I was hearing. He loves me. He looks down from heaven in compassion and forgiveness on me, a great sinner. He died to save my soul. I seemed to see a glorious being in the cloud of, this, of splendor that was smiling down from on high. In sharp contrast with the experience of the contempt and brutality of my earthly master, I seemed to bask in the sunshine of his glorious being, and he would be my dear refuge. He will wipe away the tears from my eyes, and now I can bear all things. Nothing will seem hard after this. And I feel sorry that my master Riley did not know this loving Savior. Sorry that he should live such a coarse and wicked and cruel life. I was swallowed up in the beauty of divine love. 
I could love my enemies, and I prayed for them that did despitefully use and entreat me. And so religion became to me, indeed, the great business and concern of all my life. As I read the story about Josiah, I realized that the love of God can transform any circumstance. It enables us to to rise above the pain, the suffering, the difficult people, and all those kind of things. And it's simply based on this. As we read his experience and as we look at the, the, the scripture here today, to know this, I am loved. The world may hate you. People may hate you. But you are loved by Almighty God through Jesus Christ. So much so that he became our substitute. He took our judgment. And he gives us, very simply, transfers to us his victory. Father, we praise you. And we are so grateful for the love of Christ. So thankful, Lord, for what you have done, Lord, in our lives. And yet, Lord, we find challenges living out this love. Lord, so often as we consider the love of Christ, we think that it automatically should attend. Lord, warm, fuzzy feelings. But it doesn't necessarily, Lord. Lord, you call us to love. We thank you that you are love. You're the source of love. And love we, Lord, we love you because you first loved us. And I want to pray for anyone here this morning. They don't know that love. I pray that, Lord, you'd reveal yourself. Reveal that love. We realize, Lord, that your love will cast out fear. Fear of this and fear of that. And, Lord, we'll put within our hearts an assurance, a peace, and just a sense that no matter what may happen, presently or in the future, to know that we are the objects, Lord, of your love. We thank you for that. Thank you so very, very much. And how I pray, Father, you might bless your people. Bless them, Lord, as they go. Lord, let them sense your grace, your love, your peace, your mercy in their lives. And for that, Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.